We got her. Hi, guys. Hello. What's going on? Oh, I can't hear him, though. Let me see here. There we go. Hey. Hey, you got it? How we doing? Good, dude. I'm sorry. Yes, you got my dog in the background just causing all sorts of a ruckus. Don't worry about it. Hey, also, I just want to say thank you. We, uh, I got caught in some traffic this morning. Um, there was an accident on the road. And it just got worse and worse. And I was like, oh, my God. So um, thanks for being willing to move things around a little bit. And I, I'm sorry about that. It's not like me. To, you know, I'm usually on time and everything. So No, I, you know what? It's cool. I, uh, I went through Nashville last week driving through town with a uh, U-Haul trailer in tow. And it was in morning rush hour. So, dude, I get it. Nashville is, expl- I mean, how do you explain the growth of Nashville now? It's just stupid. Oh, it's, it, it, I haven't looked at, like, the numbers and stuff, but I would imagine it's one of the fastest growing cities in America right now. I'm sure. I mean, real estate alone. I mean, when I moved to Nashville for the first time in 20, uh, 2008, my apartment on Old Hickory there was uh, $500 a month for the whole apartment. Wow. And now it's, like, $2,500 for, you know, a two-bedroom. It's, like, like that's ridiculous that is just insane and then you add on top of that the the pedal taverns and isn't it the pretty much the the bachelorette capital of the world bachelorette parties yeah i mean it, it definitely gives vegas to run for its money man i mean all you see at the airport walking down is a bunch of pink hats you know um oh. just everywhere you go matching and stuff and oh. we're in <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and everybody has to buy their very first pair of boots somewhere down on broadway yeah, yeah. Will they ever wear them again? I don't know. We no, hope. We probably hope. not. Well, uh, no. Nate, Nate Smith, thank you for joining me today. I've got this uh, this podcast. Yes, it's called As It Was Written, The Story Behind the Song. And, I mean, I got to say it. You, in the last three years, have set the world on fire. Did you see what I did there? Oh, yeah, I think you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it, it, I, honestly, I, I don't think it has had anything to do with me. Um, I think I think um, fans are amazing. If they like songs, they like them and they push them. And country radio has has, has embraced my music and, and really taken it to the top. Um, and I've got a really, really, really great label and a management team that that um, pushes these things together. My uh, my day to day Taylor is insane. Like she's so good. Like I couldn't even function without her. Um, so like it, it's it's so weird to you know to think about. That has anything to do with me because I have such a great team. Um, but uh, it's it's been so much fun and so many doors have opened up that I never could have imagined. And I'm having a blast, man. Well, I've never met you. And I know that you were in Virginia just this past weekend. You played the Beach at Country Music yeah. Festival. I saw pictures. You looked like you just had a blast there. And I'm sorry I missed it, but it was for good reason. So hopefully we'll see you uh, come through Virginia again soon. I hope so too. Um, cause my first time, um, I don't know how to pronounce, uh, Norfolk. Nor- yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, I was there with John party, uh, the year before, um, at, I think it was like patriotic festival or yes, something. something. That's exactly in- what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, doing the beach at festival was really cool. And I love, I love the live nation team a lot and stuff. So that was really special. Um, but the fans were crazy, man. They were so fun. The energy was insane there. That's what I heard. And unfortunately I was driving, Across the country, I was driving my daughter to Nebraska, U-Haul in tow. She's moved there. And then I went on to Colorado that weekend that you were at the Beach and Festival to go see George Strait and Chris Stapleton for my wife and I to celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. So congratulations, man. Happy anniversary. And what a way to spend it. I've, I've never seen either of them live. Uh, you got to see them both at the same time. So, well, it's funny because my wife and I actually met at a George Strait festival 25 years ago. So to take her to go see George for our 20th was, that was, you know, 
I got brownie points on that's that one. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Since you've, I mean, really, you came on the scene within the last two, three years. Whiskey on You, your first number one song, which we'll get to here in a bit, because I want to get the story behind that and how it just kind of happened. But well, tell me the Nate Smith story. You said you moved to Nashville. You're from California, right? But didn't you leave Nashville and go back to California and then back again? Exactly. That's exactly right. So I moved to Nashville in 2008. Uh, I had a record deal on the table. And uh, so I, I came out here. We're negotiating my long form. Um, and I'm writing songs for my debut album and all this. And then eventually it just falls apart. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Um, my, my A&R left the label. Um, the, and for those who are watching that don't know what that is, that's like your cheerleader at the label that signs you and, and, and kind of guides your career. Right. Um, he left and I'm like, oh, so then they didn't want to work with me. And I'm like, dang it. So I was kind of in limbo for a minute. And then I ended up signing a publishing deal with Centricity Music for three years. Uh, writing songs for other artists and I had no idea what I was doing and then um, I did that for a little bit and then um, went through a divorce which was really hard for both of us and everything a girl had, I had met in Nashville um, so when that happened I, I just needed to be back home in California with my family and I needed to heal all that kind of stuff sorry about the train here it might oh you're fine one second <laughs> <laughs> um, I went back to California and uh, you know I've, I've been a certified nurse assistant since I was 18 years old so I've always had a job everywhere I went taking care of patients and whether it's in like a convalescent situation or acute care um, or in actual like, you know, like I worked in ICU and trauma as well. So neurotrauma, um, taking care of patients that can't run ventilators. And I'm like helping turn them every two hours with the nurses, helping with wound care. If there's a code blue, I'm, I'm, I'm the one doing the compressions on them and stuff like that. Um, so like that was kind of my, I was going to be a nurse. That was kind of my whole thing. Um, when I was back in California. So I just hadn't started nursing school. Um, I was, I was a certified nurse assistant, but not actual nursing school. Um, but I also helped out with ministry and stuff. Um, my brother was a youth pastor, um, in paradise. So I moved back to paradise and, um, we, uh, we were helping out the youth there and I'm raising up the, the youth band and stuff. And then our town caught on fire, as you probably heard, um, in paradise, um, kind of unexpected unexpectedly and we lost everything and people died in the fire it was a really traumatic situation um it happened very very quickly right um and uh essentially one of my friends that i met um the first time i moved to nashville mailed me a guitar after i lost mine and it showed up at my dad's <laughs> doorstep in chico california and uh just just wrecked me man and i ended up writing a song for um for paradise and raised a little bit of money to help out um the cause and and I was just like, man, and I was, I was getting messages from people like, man, this song's really helping me. It's called one of these days. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but people were saying, was like, man, this is the first time I've been able to cry. It's helping me heal. And I went, wow, the power of music, man, the power of music, what it can do for people. And it, it reset my entire perspective on um, why I would want to be a part of music. And so I started writing songs again and getting a band together and eventually um, got a GoFundMe um, from my friends. They, they helped put it together and they launched me back to Nashville. But um, before I could move to Nashville, cause my lease didn't start, I had to figure out what to do for about a month and a half. So I drove all over America. I slept in my car. I went camping. I went to random towns, played in random bars. Just, just, this is all during the pandemic when some places were open, some weren't. Right. And, uh, got to town. And then, um, I met my management pretty quickly through, which is an even weirder story how that happened, but, um, got a management deal. And then I was down to $14. Jeez. Um, the day I signed my publishing deal as a writer was selling um, out of money, had no way to pay my rent or anything and, uh, signed that. And I, I paid my rent. I paid my car payment, wrote songs for about a year and a half. And then Sony, um, records, you know, actually signed me to a record deal. Um, and that's when we, we eventually wrote whiskey on you and, and got it on the radio and all that kind of stuff. So it's been very unexpected. And, it, and, and honestly, I, I, 
it's the first time in my life I can honestly say that like doors were opening that I have no idea how or why I felt I was like guided here, you know? I was amazed at just hearing that story. I had no idea that you were, you were, where you're going to be a nurse. That's, that's amazing in itself. What, what the transition, what led to that transition from being a nurse to playing guitar and country music? I mean, like I said, you know, I was, I was doing that and I was, I was planning on being a nurse, but I mean, after I wrote that song for paradise and saw what it could do, I was like, this is incredible. And I just kind of, there was just a natural progression leaning back into music. And I remember like, my friends, I had a lot of friends that would guide me in that too. You know, like, Nate, I think that music's really what you're calling and what you should be doing and stuff. And, um, but I also had a, I have a passion for people and that's okay. what the two things, that's why I got confused as to what path to take to do that, you know, cause you can help people physically, you know, as a, as a nurse assistant, but you can help them spiritually and emotionally with music. So, um, but yeah, it just, it just kind of naturally went that way. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's such a great story. Who are some of your favorite writers now that you've been in town? Who do you love? Two of your favorite writers to write with. There's so many that I love writing with. Um, on my album, I, I did a big old thank you of everybody that that, that helped out and stuff. But my my producer Lindsey Rhymes, um, everything that we write, I, I I love so much. He just knows how to make everything sound like a big old hit. You know, he has that he has that commercial sense and what he does. Um, Ashley Gorley, Taylor Phillips, you know, Tranny Anderson, Andy Albert. You know, there's so many folks that I love working with. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work with some of these people that I, I only Ross Copperman, you know, that I, I never thought I would get to, you know, so it's pretty cool. And I'll tell you what, Ashley Gorley um, in particular, um, all the hype is real. All yeah. the hype is real. That guy is an absolute savant. I, I, I can't even, we're in the room and he'll just sit there for a second. And when he comes up with an idea and he says it out loud, he's already gone through like 30 revisions in his head in a matter of 10 <laughs> seconds. And then he, it's the right choice when it comes out and you're like, yes, yes. Well, I mean, what hasn't Ashley written or co-written? Same with Lindsay. I mean, the 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 list is endless. Yeah, it's 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 just crazy that he, I mean, he's literally he's literally the Michael Jordan of songwriting. Wow, you know, <laughs> man. Now let's now the oh, yeah. let's go ahead and get to I mean, really, why we're here? The success of Whiskey on You. Let's talk about that. Where did that start? So. uh, I, I was in a relationship. We we broke up, and two days later, um, <laughs> fate would have it that I had a writers retreat set up with Lindsey Grimes and Russell Sutton and some other folks, Tranny Anderson. And it was at Jim Catino. This guy Jim Catino, he's a big executive here in town. You've probably heard his name before. Mm-hmm. And stuff, but he has a lake house um, a couple hours away. Invited me out there. That's where Kane Brown um, wrote Heaven. Oh wow! Okay. With Lindsey Grimes, that happened in that house and some other things too. So. Um, we we're just kind of hoping that something could happen. So we went down there and, um, I sat down with Russell and Lindsay and I kind of told him what I was going through my situation. And I think, um, I think Russell had the title whiskey on you. And then we just started kind of putting it together, telling the story. And then, um, just, I'm, I'm big on melodies. Melodies is kind of like if I, when I'm in the writer's room, that's usually what I take a hold of is, like, is making sure that the melodies are are simple and really catchy and unique and different. Mm-hmm. Um, really important to me. Like it doesn't, if it's too wordy and stuff, I'm like, that's not going to fly because people aren't going to be able to sing along by the second chorus. So we, I, I love that pre chorus, the line them up for them fall apart. Cause that just really, um, you just, you can sing along almost the first time that you, you hear it and stuff, but we worked on that demo all night. And then I, I showed my team and they really liked it. And we actually were going to go with a different single. Um, and then just something in my gut, man, was just like, I love this song. Like, I, I feel like this song just feels right. 
still Zenthemic and stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember going back to my company and I was like, hey guys, I, I think it's whiskey on you. I don't know. I, I really feel it in my gut because uh, Mitchell Tenpenny gave me some advice once. He said, always listen to your gut with your songs. Like just right. do that. And so I was, I was taking his advice and uh, they're like, we'll start teasing it on TikTok. Just let's just see what it does. You know, and I was like, cool, awesome. So I did. And then um, this girl named Demp, she's an influencer and stuff. She created this little kick thing. Um, and people would do this little kick on the line them up. Ah! And like, she would like do this little kick thing. And people started doing it and it started trending and stuff. And she helped a lot with it. And then the fans just got behind it. And then essentially we started building the story of the song. I mean, like then playlist jumped on and everything. And it ultimately it led to it becoming a radio single. Yeah. Um, and the funnier part about it too, is we went back to Nashville and uh, we, re- we we made the demo at Jim Tacchino's house. Um, I, I sang on a mic, just actually exactly like that one. That's an SM7, S- right? Yeah, SM7B, yeah. So I sang on one of those uh, at the kitchen table, and we did the whole demo there. Um, and then we went back to getting the drums out and putting the other drums back in, all this stuff. And eventually it was like, let's just mix the demo, you know, at the table, like where I'm singing on the thing and everything. That's what ended up being on the radio. It's really? The demo. Okay. Um, all right. The demo. Lindsay added a couple acoustic parts, or Ilya did. Somebody, I think Ilya played on it. Um, that was basically it. So it's, it's, I would say it's 95, 98% the original demo of the vocals. hundred percent was the day of writing it. My, my vocals were at the kitchen table there. Um, and we mixed that. That's how it happened. See, that's what makes like this podcast special. Cause I didn't know that story. So, you know, when I can share that with, with my listeners and everybody else out there that, you know, when you're sitting, you see all sorts of videos on TikTok and everything else. A lot of artists, SM7B, everybody's got them. But to make it sound Dude. like that at the house, singing it at the kitchen table, that's the, I guess that's the realness of the song. And I, I would have never known that. I just thought it was recorded in a studio somewhere. I was mad. I was upset. I was hurt, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was, it, you can't, sometimes you, you can't recapture that, that right. first feeling. Um, and then the other thing too, <clears throat> doing a retreat um, changed. I, I don't think the song would have been what it was if it was written in town because when we were working on the demo um, during that day, we'd come up with more parts like, I'm going to waste another drop of whiskey on, like that little part right there, yeah. which was an afterthought. And and me and Lindsay were like, oh, I love that because it circles back around. And so we realized that was a whole new hook. Right. And, and so like um, figuring that kind of, those little outro hooks and stuff wouldn't have happened if we didn't take the extra 5%. And uh, it's funny, I, I heard recently in one of my writes that, um, the publishing company that I work with, Sony, has said before, like, we get so many songs that are like 90% there. Right. Like 90% the right song, but they, it's that extra 5% of working on getting the little hooky things and the background vocals and all that stuff. That really makes it sound and feel like a hit, you know? It's a lot of what the, you know, you hear something in your head, the producer hears something in their head, and it's a lot of trial and error. You just keep trying stuff until you find what works. And I find, oh, yeah. I find that with production when we're doing commercials or I'm doing imaging for the radio station, you know, you just like, okay, I spent way too much time on this and you end up going back to the way it was. And so that's just <laughs> what makes you feel yeah. most comfortable about it. And that's cool. That's very cool. I just saying just a lot of, a lot of intuition, a lot of gut and taking risks, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I will say that when, when whiskey on you, when you started putting it out on TikTok, it was every other song on my for you page. I don't know how many views and hit, you know, everything else you've had on that. But every time I'm going, I love to hate you because I love the song. But then the other part of me is like, darn it, Nate Smith. I'm trying to go watch a cooking video, yeah. you know, yeah. but it I'm was great. So sorry. It's all good. It's all good. Now let's talk <laughs> real quick about your new single, 
World on Fire. I'm going to take it a step back because your album came out in April. You've got the original version has 20 songs, right? And then the deluxe version has 26. How as a new artist, yeah. do you get a deluxe edition out of the gate? I don't know. I'm a spoiled little brat. <laughs> I'm a spoiled little brat. And uh, honestly, the deluxe really came out of the need for, with, for, for World on Fire. Um, because what had happened was um, <clears throat> I'd written the song and then I asked my team, I said, hey, can I, I start teasing this on socials? Um, and they're like, sure. And then I did. And then it started reacting. But we, hadn't, we didn't have a plan as to when it was going to be mixed. We didn't have a plan when we were going to release it. And we already had the record coming out on February 17th was the plan. Okay. Um, so it was like we kind of had a problem. And we're like, we, if we add World on Fire to that original record, um, it's going to take away the 50,000 free trades that we had on there. Just a bunch of stuff like that where it was going to mess up the plan. You know? right. um, so essentially, we decided to, to push the album back to April um, for a lot more reasons than just World on Fire. But it was, it was due to... My, my, the tour with Thomas Rhett starts then, Stagecoach is happening then, and we want to have a lot of stuff going on um, around the, the album release. So there was a lot of back and forth with the label trying to figure out, <clears throat> it wasn't an argument, but it was like, it was, how do we, okay, we know this is reacting this quickly, so like, how do we, how do we add this song to the album? So then right. Margaret Tomlin and the team came up with this idea of just doing a deluxe and dropping it the same day that the album comes out. Uh, which the only other time that's happened was, was Taylor Swift um, did it um, once. That's where they got the idea oh, wow. um, okay. to, to do the deluxe the day of the drop. So that's, so then I had some other, I started writing some more and we had other songs. So, but, but essentially it came out of the need of adding world on fire to this whole thing. Cause it was just, it was, it was a whole ordeal. Oh man. <laughs> we, we knew it was reacting. How many meetings did you have to go through for, for that to be decided? Taylor, how many meetings? Like 20? I mean, like, like, and it was like, I'd go into the office. I'm like, what are we going to do? And they're like, we don't know. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. This, I feel like I'm let, we're letting this song moment slip by. We got to figure out how to get this thing in there. And that's why I'm saying like my label's so good at figuring out solutions to these things, you know, cause right. it took a minute to figure out, but they're like, let's just deluxe the day the album comes out. I'm like, that is genius. That's that awesome. is genius. Let's do that. So then it came out right away. Wow. So world on <laughs> fire. Um, where did that come to? Did that come from the same writing session off campus? Uh, well, kind of. Um, I went out to Ashley Gorley's place for a couple of days um, and, and wrote out there with Taylor Phillips and Lindsay Rhymes. And Taylor had that world on fire title. Um, and then we just started working on it from there. But the cool thing about that song is it's a, it's, it's a breakup song, you know, it really is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the unique thing about it is there's, there's lines in there like, I don't recognize these streets anymore and, and things like that because we, we took we took the imagery from the, the, the campfire of paradise and put that and made that into a, a metaphor um, of a relationship. And gotcha. so there's a lot of imagery in there. And I realized in my music, there's a theme of fire right. a little bit. Um, my first song that I put out ever was Wildfire. And um, so there's there's this theme of that. And, and I think that's something that's going to be consistent through my through my story and stuff. And that's what I think is so special about the song is it, it comes from a real place. It's something I really experienced, but it also has a relatable um, relationship kind of a theme to it and stuff, you know? So, uh, but I, I really believe in the song a lot. It just feels right. It's funny. There's a, uh, when we put music in our radio station library and we're playing world on fire, but when we put it in, we have, we assign it a code, right? The, as far as the mood goes, whether it's sad and, and depressing, or if it's just sad, like a breakup song, or middle of the road, oh. happy, or party. And when I got that one, I'm like, gosh, 
this seems because it's energy and it's up tempo, you want to put, oh, this makes me feel good. But then you listen to it and you're like, no, okay, that's 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 kind of sad. But it's weird having a sad up tempo song. <laughs> I know there's kind of a there's a, there's a contrast there, but I think it's kind of cool. Um, the other thing too, I don't know how not everybody listens crazy uh, detailed to the lyrics, but if you just heard that you set my world on fire, it could be a sexy thing. Yeah, true. like it could be taken that way. Like maybe you set my world on fire. So. I don't know. It could mean a lot of things to a lot of people, huh? Yeah, absolutely. There's that. That's what I love about, you know, music is because everybody has their own interpretation of the song. And it could be vastly different from what you were thinking when you wrote it, which is kind of one of the cool powers about music. And it's like, it is. And it's kind of like, it's like, okay, there's a lyrical content to it, but how does it make you feel? Right. If it makes you, if, if it makes you feel good, then it's almost irrelevant if the lyrics are kind of, you know, if you feel good, like, oh, it's amps me up, you know, because with, Whiskey on You was a diss track. You know, it was a track of like going like, I ain't going to waste no more whiskey yeah. on you. Like, I'm done. Yep. You know, but you still, it's still, everybody's like excited though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Like, yeah, that works. Yeah, it's, it's a fun. Friday Night Hardy breakup song thing. Um, real quick, the other songs on the album, I've, I've listened to it probably a dozen times. I've listened to the deluxe version. And I want a few songs that <clears throat> pointed out to me was, and I don't know your influences and what, you know, what artists you look towards. But as I listened, I got a very Fleetwood Mac feel from the song Sleeve. Are they yeah. kind of yeah. one of your influences? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I uh, That's funny. That song, that's one of my favorite songs um, I've, I've ever written um, because it, it, it tells the story of the, of the divorce, going back to California, that process of everything. Yeah. Um, but really from a victim-y standpoint, you know, um, and, and really a place of like, look, like stuff happens, you know what I mean? Um, but I don't want to let it change me from being a hopeless romantic who I am at my, at my core. Um, even though it's foolish at times that I lay my heart out there so easily, but it's like, it's who I am. Right. And I think a lot of people feel that way and stuff, but yeah, production wise, it, I, I remember going in there and Joel Breer produced it. He's a good friend of mine. Um, and I just, I was very nitpicky with the drum sounds and stuff and really wanted that like dry snare and, and, and stuff like that. And he just nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. That's awesome. That's very cool. I also liked, LFG, the, dude, the play on all that with the different, the different, uh, you know, LFG and all that stuff. That was very cool. That was a great idea. That's a fun song uh, to play live. It's got a lot of energy. Um, it's, it's like the second song in our set because it has that, that intro where it's like, uh, I don't know, like we just get everybody clapping their hands kind yeah. of thing and then just firing them up. So it's, it's a fun one. And then I wanted to comment finally on uh, uh, Better Boy, the lyric oh. in that song the lover with all four letters. I was listening to that. Yeah. And as I was, I was driving to Nebraska the other day and I'm listening to this album and I heard that and I'm like thinking, shoot, it's my 20th wedding anniversary. I'm like, love all four letters. I was teared up on the way, just driving, just listening to that song. That was a great song. I love that line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I can't take credit for that one. That Taylor Phillips, Taylor Phillips and Hardy wrote it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and they were, they were on tour. <laughs> And I think they were sitting outside on a curb in Texas in a bunch of heat. And you could hear the hum of the bus on the, on the work tape, really, really crappy, low quality. But like I listened to it and I was like, I felt connected to it. And, and I also was like, the song's a big old smash. I love it so much. And uh, they said, I can play it. Um, that's, that's the crowd favorite. And when we don't play it, they get upset. They get upset. So they, they, they will comment. You didn't play better boy. You know? oh, oh man. I did see a TikTok of a girl crying when uh, there was, I can't remember the name of the song. Now I watched it the other day. She's just crying and saying how much your music she connected to your music. And 
is she tagged you in the TikTok. I don't know if you shared it or she did it, but it was great. She was crying. You were up on stage. <clears throat> I think it was in California. It was a show in California, maybe. But uh, I watched that and I was like, oh, you know, man. I want to see that. I don't know if I saw that. Uh, do you know where, do you have it? or? Um, I can send it to, I can send the link to y'all. Um, but yeah, she was just right in the front row and she was in tears watching you sing. Please send that to us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah please absolutely. send that. I will share that. And that's, I want to see that for sure. Yeah. So it was, it was just cool to, you know, as I, as I kind of got to know you through just the album, watching TikToks, interviews, by the way, congratulations on the ACM nominations and CMT nominations. That's awesome for being a new artist. That's cool. That's very cool. It's so cool. I, 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 could, I could not believe it. I was uh, like at the, uh, specifically at the ACMs too, I was sitting there and it's like, uh, I'm looking right directly in front of me is, is Jason Aldean. And then right here is, is uh, Kojo. And right over here, is, and I'm just like, why am I sitting here right now? This doesn't even make any sense. Like yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a nobody kid from California. Why am I sitting here? This is like, like, wow. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly things can change in your life when you least expect it. You know, it's just a matter of a song can, can rearrange your whole trajectory. Like I honestly, I've wanted this my whole life. Like I genuinely have. Like I said, I was I was gonna be to totally happy being a nurse and stuff like that because I I love people so much. But dude, like like I I thought about this when I was a kid. You know what I mean? And like right. I get to play I get to play shows for a living. Like are you joking? I get to make music and record and all this stuff. Like it, music videos. I remember like imagining like like acting it out in front of the mirror and stuff like that. Like ah, I don't know. You know, like <laughs> like it, it's a really surreal thing. I'm just so thankful that I get to experience what I really wanted to do in my life for real, you know, like, I don't know how many people can say that. But that's why I'm, I'm ultra blessed and, and so lucky. What was your very first instrument? Was it, were you guitar? Were you piano? Where did you learn to play? Yeah. Um, let's see. I took, I took a couple piano lessons when I was pretty little, like under like 10. Um, I messed around with a mouth harp and like almost broke my teeth on it. <laughs> Um, I fiddled around with a, with a harmonica, um, before guitar, I think it was trumpet. So I, I played trumpet through Elmick and then I started playing guitar around 12, 13. Okay. Um, and just never put music away really. I know we're running out of time, Nate. And look, I appreciate yeah. you've been so awesome. I'm going to leave with this lesson in the lyric. Okay. Is there a song written or performed by you or another artist that has impacted you so much that you take that advice and share it with your friends, your family, your bandmates. Like for me, it is Kenny Chesney, a lot of things different. And that song really is one of those that I want to live my life by. And I, I'll share that kind of stuff, you know, with, with, the, with my friends. Just say, look, you should have done it this way, or maybe I should have tried it this way. Don't be afraid to try new things. Is there a song for you like that? Man, honestly, to be totally real with you, I'd have to sit and think. Um, a lot of the advice that's come into my life has been through like family and, and, and those kind of things and just like living life, you know, and just experiencing different things and taking risks. But um, I don't know. I, I think this is totally not the answer that you're looking for, but <laughs> a, a pastor that I, I, I followed for a while said, if you can't find hope in the answer, then you got to keep looking. Like that has to be the answer for every problem that you're going through. There has to be hope in it. Um, so hope is really the, the, the thing that I, I cling to more than anything. So I, I'm opti delusionally optimistic. 
I'd say in a lot of ways. And I think that's why some of this is happening. But I, I'd say hope is the anchor of my life, man. It, it, it really is. I'm hopeful. I'm enthusiastic. I, I, I expect the best to happen. You know, right. Um, so there's probably a song to be written there, you know, probably so. I'm sure there is. Well, that you know what? It, <laughs> it, it may not be exactly what I was looking for, but it was the answer that that felt right to you. So I'll take that all day long. Yeah. So good job. That was okay. awesome. <laughs> well done. Uh, Nate Smith, where can everybody find you if they're just hearing my podcast for the first time, learning about you for the first time? Where can people find yeah. Nate Smith on TikTok, Instagram? Nate Smith music on TikTok. Um, Instagram is just Nate Smith. We got really lucky with that. It's a very, very common name. Um, right. So uh, it's Nate Smith. And, and just, man, check out check out my, my Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Pandora, all that kind of stuff. And check out my music. And, you know, don't be a stranger. Follow me. The album uh, came out in April. 26 songs for the deluxe version. Uh, 20 on the regular. Uh, but go check it out because... I'm telling you, what was there was one more that I was like going, what in the heck is going on here? And I'll have to come back to it because now I can't remember the name of it. But when I heard it, I loved the production of it. And it was it was it was very top 40 sounding. I, it was like the fourth or fifth cut on the album. Um, oh, you only want me when you're drunk? Yes, yes, yes. The drunk song? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that stood, stood out like a sore thumb to me, but I loved every bit of it. I was like, that's awesome. I, I think it's important to have some variety and I, I think it's really important to lean into your influences and and because I think when you lean into the things that you like you actually whether you realize it or not you carve out your own lane in country yeah you know if you're if you're leaning into the things that you like to hear in, in the sounds and I think for me it even comes down to like that guitar part sounds too happy there we need to make that sound a little more emotional like right. I'm picky like that with everything and stuff you know and okay. I think all that plays into what you're hearing you know because you can't just let everybody do it for you, you know, or it won't be you. Absolutely. Well, congratulations with everything, Nate, and uh, uh, all the success. And we're we're very excited to see what World on Fire does for us and for you. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see you next time you're in Virginia. Thank you for being on the podcast as it was written, the story behind the song. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. You bet. Now I'm, I'm an even bigger fan just sitting here talking to you for the last half hour. <laughs> 